Hey everybody, good morning and welcome to Christ Community Chapel 2020. Wow. Uh, welcome those of you over in East Hall, those of you who are tuning in. Uh, welcome. All right. Three years ago, almost to the day, we were able to launch our Stowe campus into Independence. They are now Redemption Chapel and are doing great. This weekend, we get to launch our Highland Square campus into Independence. And Brian Kunkler, the campus pastor of Highland Square, has written a letter to you. And he wanted me to read it. So this is what he says. Greetings, CCC family. On behalf of the entire Highland Square campus, I would like to extend a heartfelt wow. That may sound odd, but I don't know of any other word or words that would be fitting for such an occasion. So I'll say it again. Wow. It was nearly 11 years ago that CCC caught a vision to do a work in Akron that would be of the city and for the city, a work that would seek to bring people together that normally do not come together. You dared to believe that this was what Jesus wanted to do. Since that inaugural vision cast from Pastor Joe, CCC has been all hands on deck supporting this work. You walked us through the energy and excitement of opening day. You supported us through the long, slow build as we matured and methodically grew. You kept us afloat financially, continued to give us encouragement, and came to our aid with expertise time and time again. Now, finally, after these many years, we are ready to run and be what you planted us to be. We believe we are ready and we are excited to release you to do, among others, what you have so graciously done for us. Then just when we get to this place, you decide to send us off with a wildly generous gift of $600,000 to purchase a building. Wow. It has been an honor to walk with you these many years. It will be our joy to continue in fellowship with you over the coming years. This is not goodbye, but it is wow and thank you from the bottom of our hearts. So on behalf of the Highland Square Campus, soon to be Garden City Church, we love you, we thank you, and we look forward to partnering with you for years to come. We would not be here without you, and we, feel, and we will never forget that. Sincerely, Pastor Brian and Garden City Church. So thank you. Yeah. I love that we have that opportunity to throw out these church plants, and I want you to know that what Brian says is great. This allows us to do it again. In fact, uh, a year from now, we will have planted two more churches, uh, one in Mayfield Heights and one in Goodyear Heights because of Orchard NEO. So thanks for being a part of all of this, of increasing our impact on Northeast Ohio. All right, I was writing in my prayer journal on January 1st, and I wrote, uh, I have no idea what 2020 holds, but I know who holds me in the hollow of your hand. And because of that, I can look forward to everything in 2020. I hope you feel like that. I hope you know the one who holds you in the hollow of his hand. All right? Listen, the first weekend of the new year is always when people start diets and they go and start a workout thing and they go to the gym. And we do that because we want uh, this year to be better than last year. We want the, the 2020 version of ourselves to be better than the 2019 version of ourselves. And if that's you, let me encourage you to make this year, 2020, a year where you fully commit yourself to a relationship with God 
We begin to live the way he wants you to live, love the way he wants you to love, become more the person he created you to be. That's what, get to know this God who created you, who provides for you, and who sent Jesus to rescue you. Let's have 2020 be a year where we drink so deeply of grace that it begins to flow out of us to the people that God brings into our lives this whole year. And so many of you ended last year by doing that uh, with the just because kind of initiative where we were kind of blanketing this area with thousands of acts of kindness and those stories continue to roll in. So I wanted to kind of start this year by reading some of those stories. Let me read two of those stories for you that came in just recently. This is from Sue. She says, I was totally blessed by a random act of kindness today. I was at South Park Mall looking at bracelets for a me gift. As I stood at the counter trying to make a decision, I was approached by a young man who held out his hand with money and said, I would like for you to use this to purchase your new bracelet. I looked up at him and smiled and asked, are you serious? And he said, yes, ma'am. I was totally blessed by this kind gesture. This was an extra special blessing for me as this time last year, I was undergoing chemo for breast cancer. I didn't get to enjoy the holidays and all the festivities of the season. This Christmas has been so much better for me. I was able to go visit my daughter in Denver and celebrate Christmas with her. And today I received this beautiful gift with a card that said, just because. I am praying that the Lord will open the perfect door for me to pay it forward and to be a blessing for someone else. The bracelet I, I chose is a charm bracelet. I will think of this blessing every time I wear it. It will remind me that paying it forward and blessing others also blesses us. I wish I could thank the young man again, and I wish I would have hugged him. God bless this amazing ministry. And then this from Rini says, On Christmas Eve, a couple at Giant Eagle in Macedonia let me go in line in front of them. I only had two items, and it's been a rough day of running around. I thanked them. Next thing, the woman tapped my shoulder, handed me a card in an envelope, and wished me a blessed Merry Christmas. I thanked them again and wished them a Merry Christmas. When I got home, I opened the card, and it melted my heart. There were beautiful words and money. I wished I had opened it at the store because I would have hugged them. Then I saw the Just Because card, and my love for this holiday got even bigger. I have friends that go and are very involved in Christ Community Chapel. I plan on paying the money forward. I want to thank the couple again from the bottom of my heart. You two are blessed. I love that because you guys help build a reputation for us around the community of being a church that spreads love and kindness. And what you do, the secret of a Just Because card is that it's like a single drop of grace. That unexpected and powerful elixir that the world needs. It's unexpected, it's undeserved, but so desperately needed. So thanks for the way that you ended 2019. Now we look forward to 2020. At the first weekend of the year, I always introduce a, a theme, kind of a vision to walk us through this year. And this is going to be an extraordinary year. And one of the ways it's going to be extraordinary is that this theme that I'm going to introduce today will carry us from January to September. And in September, I'm going to introduce a new theme, a new vision for a church that will last much longer than a single year. And I could not be more excited. Now, uh, let me say this. I have heard a rumor now from three different sources 
And the rumor is that, uh, that I am uh, stepping down or, or retiring or going away, and, and that's not true. All right? I'm not. <laughs> Thanks. You guys are stuck with me. Where would I go? You know, I, I love you. When I say I love this church, I don't just mean that I love what I do. It means I love you. I love you. So anyway, that's not the surprise in September. It's going to be better. It's going to be great. But I'm not going to tell you anything more about it. Uh, I want you to look at it like your birthday's in September, and I just told you you're going to get something great. And I may give you hints along the way, but I'm not going to tell you what it is until September. And for some of you, that's going to drive you crazy. And uh, tough. It's going to be awesome. All right, but this, right now, this weekend, I'm going to introduce the theme that will carry us through September. And the theme is simply this, love matters most. Is it love matters most? Let me start with a caution. Because when I say that, I don't want you to get in your mind that it's some kind of soft kind of sentimentality. And let me tell you a story. When When I was a freshman at University of South Florida, I was in a sociology class uh, that was, we were talking about morality, what makes things right and wrong, who decides. And we got to the section on sexuality. And our professor decided to bring in a clergyman to talk to us about the morality of sexuality, which I thought was a really interesting move. I was very surprised because our professor was pretty liberal, especially when it came to sexuality, which is what made him so popular among the students. And this clergyman came in and he began to talk. About 15 minutes into his talk, I realized that he was not mentioning the Bible at all. So I raised my hand. I said, well, if we're talking about the morality of sexuality, what about what the Bible says about it being reserved for a man and a woman? What about what the Bible says about the sanctity of marriage? And as I was talking, this clergyman turned around and started to write on the blackboard. This was back when we had blackboards. He wrote, God is love. Anything that has to do with love cannot be wrong. God is love. Anything that has to do with love cannot be wrong. My professor loved it. My fellow students loved it. And I sat there going, something is wrong with that. But I'm not sure what. When we talk about the theme that love matters most. We're talking about something other than this soft kind of sentimentality where you love and then anything goes. Let's look at what Jesus says when he connects morality and love. He's the right one to go to. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. If you're over in East Hall, I know it's dark in there. It might be good for you to get our our app or you can just get it on your phone. You can wait for it to come up on the screen, but this is Matthew chapter 22. I'm going to read verses 34 through 40. It's what it says. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. 
You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This is God's word. All right, I have three points. Some things never change. Three questions. Here's the first question. What's love got to do with it? Got to do with it. All right, little Tina Turner, just to get it in your head. What's love got to do with it? What's law got to do with it? And what's Jesus got to do with it? What's love got to do with it? What's law got to do with it? What's Jesus got to do with it? First, what's love got to do with it? Start in verse 34. He says, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. We are introduced to two groups of people. One group were called the Sadducees, and the other group were called the Pharisees. Jesus had just dealt with the Sadducees in the previous passage. The Sadducees were like the, the liberals of the first century. They were most likely to say, uh, just love people. Don't worry about obeying God. And the Pharisees were on the opposite end of the spectrum. They said, worry about obeying God. Read the Bible. Do what the Bible says. Don't worry about the mushy stuff of loving other people. And so uh, the problem with the Pharisees was this, was that there are a lot of laws in the Bible. They had combed through the Bible because they wanted to obey him, because they wanted to love God. They combed through the whole Bible, and they ended up coming, with, coming up with 613 different commandments, a huge long list of things not to do, a huge long list of things to do, which is what prompted this Pharisee to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, there are a lot of commandments in the Bible. And all of them can't be of equal importance. So what's the most important one? What's the one we should worry about the most? If you have a teenager at home, and your teenager comes to you and says, listen, I know that you left me this list of chores that you wanted me to do, but could you tell me which, the, which one is the most important? What are they asking? They're asking you to prioritize because they're not going to do all the list, right? They just want to say, what's the minimum I can do and not get in trouble? Jesus answers this guy's question, and he gives a surprising answer. And it's a surprising answer in three different ways. The first surprise is this, that he doesn't say, son, I made the list because I wanted you to do the whole list. If I didn't want you to do it, I wouldn't have put it on the list. God made a big, long list. He doesn't put things on the list that he doesn't want you to do, so do it all. Why wouldn't he do that? This man comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, there are a lot of commandments in the Bible. What's the most important? Jesus could have said, all of them. Do them all. But he doesn't. That's the first surprise. Second surprise is the way he answers. He connects love. Like when this guy says, which is the most important commandment, Jesus doesn't go to the Ten Commandments. He actually goes to Deuteronomy for the first part, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Then he goes to Leviticus for the second part, love your neighbor as yourself. And he connects them, this love, to the commandments in such a way where he's not saying, love God, just do these two. Love God, love your neighbor, don't worry about the rest of the commandments. He actually seems like he is saying, Love God like this, love your neighbor like this, 
and you will keep all of the commandments. And I'll explain more of that when we get to what's law got to do with it. The third surprise is that this guy asked Jesus for one commandment, singular. Jesus sneaks in two. Why does he do that? He didn't have to. This guy could have said, what's the most important commandment? Jesus could have said, it's easy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Full stop. Do that. Instead, Jesus says, and love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Well, it's really important for the Pharisees in particular. Because if you read the rest of the Gospels, you find that the Pharisees are very serious about obeying God. They're very serious about the Bible. But they're seen by other people as being harsh, judgmental, and critical. People saw the Pharisees in the first century in many ways the way non-Christians look at Christians today. And that means this, if you are here this morning and you love the Bible and you love God and you try to follow the Bible, but other people see you as being harsh and critical and judgmental, then you are not loving God, not according to Jesus. Because Jesus links those two. He puts them together in a way that you cannot tear them apart. If you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, you will love your neighbor as yourself. All right. So Jesus is asked by this guy. There are a lot of commandments. Which is the most important? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love. Love matters most. And if that's true, that brings me to my second question, which is, what's law got to do with it? This guy comes to Jesus. What's the most important commandment? Jesus says, love. Just love. Love God, love each other. Sounds like an answer that my professor at South Florida would affirm. Except Jesus adds this last verse, verse 40. He says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. What Jesus is saying. He is saying, this book, cover to cover, is about love. Every commandment in this book, every single thing God says to do, not to do, is about loving him and loving each other. Jesus connects law to love and love to law. Love is always connected to a list of rules whether you realize it or not. We put it like this. I was watching a movie not too long ago. <clears throat> and in the movie, a hitman goes to see a mafia boss, a mob boss. And the hitman, when he arrives, the, the mob boss seems a little irked because he wasn't expecting him. And he says, why are you here? We are not friends. And the hitman says, you're right. We're not friends. Because if we were friends, somebody wouldn't have hired me to kill your son because that's at the top of the list of things that friends don't do to friends. You get it, right? Even a hitman in a Hollywood movie knows that love comes with a list of do's and don'ts, right? Look at the Bible. When the Bible says, do not commit adultery, why? Love. The Bible says, don't steal, why? Love. The Bible says, don't lie, why? Love. 
There are two problems when we try to separate love and God's law. One is a problem that people who are more liberal tend to have, and the other is a problem that people who are more conservative tend to have. And I can't believe it's only the first weekend of 2020 and I'm already poking the bear about liberals and conservatives. But, all right, I'm going to give it a rip. First, the problem with liberals. Liberals will try to separate love with God, from God's law, which is what my professor, actually the clergyman that my professor had in at South Florida tried to do. What he said is, love, love, that's what you need to do. And then for the list, when I said, what about what God says, the clergyman said, oh, that's God's list. Make up your own list. You can make up your own list. And that's what we try to do in our culture all the time. And the problem with that is when you separate love from God's law, love is always too soft. It's always too self-centered. It always becomes more slanted in my favor than in other people's favor. Let's just take sexuality, right? Since that's what we were talking about at South Florida. What I tried to raise my hand and say was, God has a list about love and sexuality. It's like God has built like a fireplace and the sexuality is supposed to stay in the fireplace. And if it does, then it gives warmth and it makes everyone flourish. But if it gets out of the fireplace, watch out. And the fireplace is this, this, this lifelong covenant between a man and a woman. And after you have given all you are and all you have to someone else, then you can become one flesh without doing harm to each other. That's what God says. That's God's list. But the professor was saying, or the clergyman was saying, oh, no, make up your own list. And the problem with making up your own list is that everybody's got a different list. You have some people who say, well, I think sex is okay as long as you love somebody. You don't have to be married. And then somebody else will say, well, I think you can have sex. You don't have to love somebody. You just have to have them consent. And then somebody else will say, you know, I think you can have sex after three dates. And somebody else will say, I think you can have sex after two dates. And somebody else will say, you know what, I think you can have sex with no dates. You can just hook up. Why? Why do we make up our own list? Right? And are we really ready to say that our own list is more about loving, is more loving to the other person, more loving to God than God's list? Can we really look at our culture now where everybody has made up their own list about sex and we've looked at our culture and say, that our culture has used sex in the most loving, most flourishing way of any culture that has ever existed. That's nuts. That's nuts. And that's true of every single thing. When God says something in his Bible, he does it because of love, because it's the most loving thing. So when you separate love from God's law, it becomes too soft. But if you separate God's law from love, it becomes too hard. And that's the tendency of conservatives. The tendency of conservatives, like the Pharisees, was to say, listen, you obey God's law. And then they become so harsh and so critical and so judgmental, no one likes them. Right? And listen, I know that no one here likes to be thought of as a Pharisee. I don't. You don't. But you need to know that if a Pharisee existed in, the, in this century, right here at this church, they would love Bible studies. I want you to love Bible studies. The Pharisees loved the Bible. They knew the Bible. If a Pharisee was here in our church now and was a man, he would be involved in the Saturday morning Bible study. 
He would be involved in CLC or men's fraternity. Or, and if it was a woman, she'd be involved with women's Bible study and with community groups. And she might go to precept study in another church. But they would be very much into the Bible. But the problem with Pharisees was this. If you asked a Pharisee in the first century, does God love you? The Pharisee would say, yes. And if you said, why does God love you? The Pharisee would say, because I go to study. I love the Bible. I try to obey him the best I can. And that's why he loves me. If you are like that, what will happen is you'll bounce between fear and pride. And one of the ways that you know that you are leaning toward being a Pharisee is if when bad things happen to you, you think to yourself, man, I think God must be mad at me because of something I've done. And what you're saying is God loves me because of the way I obey him. And if I quit obeying him, then he's going to quit loving me. Or you may feel like you are doing really well with loving God and obeying God, and you look down on people, and you become judgmental and critical of people, and you don't have the joy or the compassion or the grace for other people, and you begin to think that God loves you because you're such a good person. See, one of the things that happens when we separate God's love or love and God's law is it becomes either too soft or too hard. So Jesus has this man come up to him, and the man says, there are a lot of commandments in the Bible, which is the most important commandment. And Jesus says, love matters most. Love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus connects love and law, and he connects love and law to himself. And that brings me to the third point, which is what Jesus means, right? What's Jesus got to do with it? Jesus comes with a message, and the message is what we call the gospel, which means simply good news. And the good news that Jesus brings is that God already loves you, that God already loves you, and Jesus is the evidence of that. Next week, I'm going to talk on the, the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God loves you, so he sent Jesus. So Jesus comes with that message. And what Jesus says is, this is the way God loves you, and this is what's going to happen. I will love him with all my heart, soul, and mind, and I will love my neighbor as myself, which means I will keep all 613 commandments perfectly. And then because I love you, I will go to the cross. And because I love you, I will resurrect. And when I resurrect, I will give you my list so that my list will become yours. And God, and you will begin to feel the love of God cascading into you. Not just like a single drop of grace, like we get in a just because event, but a, a fountain flowing of grace. And when that happens, something will turn in you. Because when you are really, really loved by someone, not because of who you are or what you do, but simply because they have decided to love you, you will find yourself longing to find ways to love them. My wife, Karen, probably loves me more than anyone has ever loved me. 
If she were to come to me today and say to me, this is a way you can love me back, I would give her my full attention. I would do whatever she says because I long to love her, not because it will somehow make her love me. She already loves me. That's a response from me to her because of already being loved. Jesus comes and he says, God already loves you. I am evidence of that. I have lived and died and resurrected so that you will know this. And when you begin to experience this, when you begin to taste grace, to swim in grace, then you will find yourself longing, longing to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And you will find yourself longing to love who he loves, which is your neighbor. So this year, 2020, from January to September, this is what we're going to do. We're going to dive so deeply into the love of God. We're going to remind ourselves over and over and over again that God loves us with such love, such passion, such fury that everything in us will begin to say, I want to learn to love him. And I will learn to love God more in 2020 with all my heart, soul, and mind. And that grace will flow out of me to other people until I begin to love my neighbor as myself. And I will connect love to God's law because he has loved me so. Because in 2020, love matters most. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you, and I'm so, so grateful. I'm grateful for the Bible. I'm grateful for all the laws in the Bible that give me a list of the ways that I can love you and love other people. But I'm most grateful that obeying that list doesn't make you love me, that you have already shown that you love me through your son, Jesus. I pray that every single one of us We'll get to the place this year where we are so convinced of your love that it will flow into us and then out of us. Where we, we will begin to love you with all our heart, soul, and mind, and we will love our neighbor as ourself. And in doing so, we will become the kind of people you want us to be. We will love the way you want us to love, and we will live the way you want us to live. Thanks. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.